All right, I've got 7 o'clock tonight, so we'll go ahead and get started. We are glad that all of you are here tonight, and I'm looking forward to our study. I hope you are as well. Uh, if anybody we have tonight is visiting with us, uh, we are certainly glad you're here, and I uh, want you to may, be made to feel welcome. Uh, before we begin tonight, of course, we want to remember all those that are sick. I hope you got a copy of the bulletin that has an update there. Uh, you might want to remember Martha Eaton. Uh, she went back to the uh, doctor in Memphis today, and her report wasn't good. She's going to go back tomorrow, and uh, they'll do another procedure, clean out the wound in her foot, and uh, she'll stay for a few days. They want to make sure that it stays together. They're worried about infection. And the doctor even said there's a possibility she could lose her foot. So anyhow, she wanted to come back home tonight because Mike is still here, and Mike's preaching in a meeting this week, and uh, he did an excellent job. We went there last night, and we really, really heard a very, very good lesson from Brother Mike Eaton, and uh, uh, she's just wanted to come back tonight, see him off, and then she'll go back tomorrow, uh, probably late morning, early afternoon, and they'll clean that wound out again. So it's going to, you know, a little touchy there for the next few days to see what uh, they can do, but they want to make sure the wound stays together after they clean it, so they're not taking any chances. So please remember her in your prayers. Also, Jody's dad did well today. He had a procedure, put two stents in his heart. He should go home tomorrow, and then he'll go back in a few days, and they'll put a, a, a valve in his heart. So things in that situation are looking up as well. There are others that we know that are sick, and I hope you will think about those that we know who need our prayers. There's uh, people that are finding out information uh, about their own health and others' health, and we want to make sure that we encourage them, and that's why I encourage you to take your bulletin and look at that and, and do what you can to encourage somebody. Uh, I say this often, but can you imagine what would happen if every single person here encouraged one person every day? Just do that. I say your day is a success no matter what else happens. If you'll encourage one person every single day. It, it may happen just by who you are, but it's usually something you have to determine to do and put forth an effort to do. It doesn't take a lot of effort, but it does say it takes some uh, conscientious effort to do that. Uh, you know, intentions don't get you anywhere in life, so uh, encourage somebody every day one way or another, and I think they'll be blessed and you'll be blessed as well. Before we get started tonight, let's begin with a prayer. Will you bow with me? Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the day, the beauty of it, all the blessings that you continue to bestow upon us every single day. We are so thankful. We recognize the fact that every good and perfect gift comes from above and everything that we have and enjoy in this life is because of your graciousness and goodness. Father, we're mindful of many that we know that are sick, uh, those that have upcoming procedures and those that are being treated for various kinds of illnesses. Father, we pray that you would be with each of those. You know who they are, and we ask that you would bless them and the physicians and the doctors that are, are seeing after their needs. Please watch over them and their families. We again ask your blessings on those that are grieving over the loss of loved ones. We pray that your hand of comfort and peace would be upon them. Father, we ask your continued blessings upon this church. We're so thankful for the shining light that this congregation is in this community. We pray that you would grant our elders the wisdom they need to continue to 
lead us and direct us in the way that we ought to go. We pray for several who are traveling. We know that many are traveling, going to camps and vacations. We pray that everyone who is from here that's traveling will have a safe trip and return back safely to us. We pray, Father, that you would bless us in our Bible study tonight. May we learn something tonight that we can apply to our lives that will help us to be more faithful to you each day. Most of all, Father, we are thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I don't have a map with me tonight. I wish I did. You know, y'all know what the difference between Dubai and Abu Dhabi is, right? Without a map? See, the people in Dubai, they don't like the Flintstones, but the people in Abu Dhabi do. Okay. Sorry, you're supposed to laugh at that. All right. Y'all watch the Flintstones? Y'all know what the Flintstones are, don't you? All right, Abraham's son of promise. His name is Isaac. And uh, we're going to look at some chapters tonight and learn some lessons that uh, can help us and challenge us from his life. Now, Abraham's son of promise, and of course we remember the promise that uh, God first made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 2. God told Abraham to what? To leave his country, to leave his kindred, to leave his father's house, go into a land that I will show you. He said, I'm going to make of you a great nation, and I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you, and through you all nations of the earth will be blessed. And of course, we turn to Hebrews chapter 11, and we read about how Abraham by faith obeyed God. He went out not knowing where he went, because he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and ruler is God. But it was through Isaac that this promise was going to be fulfilled. And so Isaac is a very prominent character as we think about the history of Israel and uh, the future of the promise that God made through Abraham and ultimately in Jesus Christ that all nations would ultimately be blessed. Now, in a previous lesson, we discussed the faith of Abraham. We discussed the faith of Abraham in connection with the birth of Isaac. We know how Abraham... Am, am I echoing? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I seem like I'm echoing. Uh, we remember uh, Abraham was way up in years. 100 years old, perhaps. Wife Sarah's 90, and they were told they were going to have a son. But Abraham believed that. And uh, we know that that faith was also demonstrated when God told Abraham to go and take his son, his only son whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice upon the mountains of Moriah. And I'm not going to go into all that again, but uh, Abraham's faith was manifested through uh, those actions. If you look at Romans chapter 4, and I encourage you if you've got your Bibles to turn to Romans 4 beginning in verse 18. The Bible talks about Abraham here when it says, In hope... He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Now you think about that. And what would somebody today a hundred years old, they had a wife still living at 90, you're going to have a child. Well... 
you're going to have to have an arteriogram, first of all, probably, or heart cath or whatever. That would shock the daylights out of you, right? You know, if Jody told me she was expecting, you know, I'd just drop right dead on spot, you know. But uh, anyhow, uh, you know, it took a lot of faith for him to accept that. The Bible says in verse 20, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And uh, I think that's one reason why Abraham was such an outstanding character, is because he was fully persuaded that God would do everything that he said. And I think we need to believe that today as well. We need to believe that God will keep his promises. God can never lie. He cannot lie, Titus chapter 2. And so we need to understand, like Abraham, that we need to have that kind of faith in God. Now, if we look at the name Isaac, well, before we do that, well, we'll do that in just a minute. The name Isaac means what? Anybody know off the top of your head? It means laughter, all right? It means he laughs. Perhaps uh, that name was given because Sarah laughed at the promise of Isaac because of her unbelief. You know, she was, I guess, doing what women do, right? Kind of eavesdropping a little bit. Uh, look at Genesis chapter 18 and verse 12. The Bible says, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's a good question, isn't it? And at the appointed time, he said, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. I love that question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Not if he's promised it. And so uh, the name Isaac means laughter. Uh, we know that Abraham laughed because of the joy at such a promise in Genesis 17 and verse 17. I want us to look tonight in the time we have left at some lessons that, that we can learn from Isaac. I believe there's some very positive things that we can see about his life. First of all, Isaac is among the few men whose name was selected and announced by God before Isaac's birth. In Genesis 17, verse 19, God said, I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And so, you know, his, his name and who he was was announced and selected before he was born. You think about others as well. Ishmael in uh, Genesis 16 verse 11 means God shall hear. Or you think about Solomon in 1 Corinthians 22 and verse 9. His name means peaceable. Or you think about Josiah. Over in 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 2, uh, Josiah means Jehovah heals or saves. And in this, as well as the case of Cyrus, uh, the Persian king, in Isaiah 44 and verse 28, uh, the prophet foretold what those individuals were going to do hundreds of years before they were born and even called them by name. That's amazing, isn't it? Uh, that's one reason why we can believe in the inspiration of the Bible and we can know that the promises of God are true. You think about Isaiah's son in Isaiah 8, verse 4, 1 through 4. Anybody know Isaiah's son's name? It's a long one. I wouldn't recommend that you use this because they won't be able to spell it to their senior in high school. Uh, Mahershala 
hash baths, you know. You're not going to learn that in kindergarten, I promise you that, or first grade. It'll take a while. Uh, Isaiah said, in making speed to the spoil, he's hastened to his prey. In the New Testament, we know that both John in Luke 1.13 and Jesus were both selected. Their names were announced before they were even born. And evidently, we know in the eyes of God that names are very, very important. And uh, when we think about names in the Bible, they certainly uh, mean something. Uh, what would we think if Abraham and Sarah had refused to call Isaac by the name God gave him? What, what would we think about them if they failed to do that? Anybody? We probably wouldn't be talking about them. So it took faith to go ahead and say, yes, I believe in God and I'll do what God said. Now, what name do we have today? We're Christians. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You know, Peter said, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Remember what Agrippa said to Paul? Yeah, he said, almost you persuade even me to be a Christian. And so the, the name Christian is a very dear name. It ought to be a treasured name. It's an honor to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. And what about those who refuse to call themselves by the name that God has given his children? You know, we hear all kinds of different denominational names, right? You know, they didn't have these, you know, hyphened Christians back in the first century. They were just simply Christians. There wasn't this kind of Christian or this brand of Christian or this type of Christian. They were simply Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, you know, denominationalism did not even exist back in that time. Uh, it was only the true church. And so it wasn't until many hundreds of years later in the 15 and 1600s when denominationalism uh, came into existence that all this divisiveness really began to run rampant and people began to take on the name of certain leaders or certain methods or <clears throat> whatever the case may be. And so we need to learn from Isaac that the name we wear is a very important name. You know, sometimes I'll ask somebody, what are you religiously? And they'll tell me. Somebody asked me, you know, what are, what are you religiously? I'll just say I'm a Christian. We can explain that and talk about that if we want to, you know. Hopefully we can. And so, uh, you know, we are Christians. I'm not a church of Christer. Are you? Are you a church of Christer? No, I'm not a church of Christ. I'm a Christian, right? I'm identified by the group of people, you know, the body known as the church of Christ. But, you know, my, I'm a Christian. That's my name. That's how I'm identified. And so uh, we're never hyphenated Christians. We don't ever want to denominationalize the Lord's church. Instead, we want to do what the Bible says and the way the Bible says do it. And as if we uh, uh, teach what they taught and believe what they believed and obey what they obeyed will be what they were. And uh, that's what we endeavor to be. Any comments on that before we move on to the next point? Any comments on the name? Any any thoughts that y'all might? This is y'all's class. I want y'all to speak up and say something sometime. I even, we came halfway back, so you might feel more comfortable. Anything, anything you want to add, feel free to do so. All right. Number two, 
Isaac was willing to sacrifice his life in obedience to God's commands. Now, you stop and think about that for just a moment. You know, the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus tells us that Isaac was about 25 years old when the events of Genesis 22 took place. That is, you know, Abraham offering his son up as a sacrifice. That would mean Abraham was 122 years old. Now, is a 122-year-old man going to overpower a 25-year-old man in most cases? Probably not, right? You know, I think we ought to hold Isaac's hands high because he submitted as well as his father to the obedience that Abraham rendered to God's command. You know, he asked the question as they ascended the lofty heights of that mountain, you know, we, we have the wood, you know, we have the altar. Well, where's the offering? Haven't we forgotten something here? You know, Isaac had always remembered his father offering sacrifices and the very idea. You know, where's the offering? And God told him, you know, uh, Abraham told him, God will provide. And that's exactly what he did. And so Isaac submitted to his father. He knew his father trusted in God, and therefore he trusted that his father was going to do what was best, even if it meant that his life would ultimately be taken. I don't know many 25-year-olds that want to stop living. Do you? Probably. You know, you th- you're 25 years old. Uh, I remember that like it was yesterday, you know. Uh, you've still got a lot of living left to go. That's just Flavius, that's Flavius Josephus. I don't, that's not scriptural. Yeah. Well, I know, but still, that's what, that's, I'm just telling you what Josephus said. And either way, you know, he could have taken off running, you know. I think Isaac did have to submit. I don't think Abraham had to force him, you know, like some people try to force their children out of the play place at McDonald's, you know, to come down. You know, I don't think uh, Abraham had to force him to get on that altar. I think Isaac fully submitted 100%. And he showed his faith in God and his respect for Abraham. And in this, uh, I think Isaac is a type of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, you know, the Bible there talks about, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. You know, Jesus humbled himself, didn't he? He became obedient unto death, the chapter says, even the death on the cross. And so I think there's a similarity there between what Isaac did and maybe what Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus didn't have to go to the cross, did he? You know, he could have ended it with just a word. But he chose even though his tears became, as it were, great drops of blood, you know, falling on the ground in agony, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He has said, nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. I think Isaac had a similar attitude as Jesus Christ did when he went to the cross. And so Isaac, I think, was willing to sacrifice his life even in obedience to God's commands. Now this next one's very interesting. Isaac let God select his wife. Uh, To me, this is a very interesting story here. The account here 
is in Genesis chapter 24. Uh, Isaac was around 37 years of age when his mother died. He was 40 when he married, Genesis 25 verse 20. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to read some stuff here. that You've just got to read this. This is something that you just can't casually go over. This is just an amazing story. I've always thought it was just amazing. Genesis 24, beginning in verse 1. Now, Abraham was old. We know he was old, right, when he had Isaac. He's well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had. I kind of think about Joseph being in charge of Potiphar's household, right, when I read that. You know, Potiphar, you know, put Joseph. He, Joseph was so trustworthy that uh, he allowed Joseph to just basically run the household, you know. Uh, Joseph had the respect and trust of Potiphar. And Abraham apparently had this same kind of trust and faith in the oldest of his household. He said, put your hand under my thigh. I'm not going to talk about what that means tonight, but, you know, basically it's like we would put our hand on the Bible, you know, I'm going to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. That was just their custom then. And he said, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Now, why would Abraham make his uh, servant take an oath like that? Don't you let my son ever take a wife from among the daughters of the Canaanites. Why, why would Abraham be so concerned about that? Strange religions, idolatry. Okay, anything else? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. God was always concerned about His people, you know, following idols and falling into the religious beliefs of the people of the land in which they were. They were warned about it again and again, and many times they just ignored what God said, didn't they? And ultimately, uh, uh, Israel was carried off never to return, and Judah was carried off into Babylon, you know, for some 70 years. And so... Yeah, mm-hmm. he, was, he was in Canaan, you know, he was, the Canaanites were still there. You know, remember last week we talked about Lot, how their flocks and herds were so many, been, not only were, was it Lot and Abraham, but the Canaanites were there and the Perizzites and so forth, and uh, so uh, these kinds of people were there. And, and don't you think it's admirable for Abraham to be concerned about who his child was going to marry? Who? Sort of, yeah. We'll see that in a minute. Now, let me ask you this. Kind of threw me off, Marilyn, a little bit. But that's all right. You know, are we as parents concerned about who our children marry, who our grandchildren marry? You know, from the time my children were born, I would pray not only for my children, but I would pray for that individual that I didn't even know about, that they would one day meet, that that would be the kind of individual you know, that would ultimately become a Christian, be faithful. And as a matter of fact, it doesn't matter to me if they were a Christian or not. They had to be a faithful Christian. You know, being a Christian, just a Christian, to be a Christian is one of the worst things that can happen. You know, if you're lukewarm and unconcerned and 
noncommittal. Uh, I, I prayed that my children would marry a faithful child of God. And I'm thankful that they all have. You know, sometimes, you know, they'd get in a little relationship here, date this person there, and I, you know, Jody, women are the worst, right? Oh, what if this, I said, don't worry about it, this is going to end. I was a great prophet regarding those relationships and how they would ultimately be over. But, and it worked out great. Everything worked out so far. Now I'm worried about my grandkids. But I don't think I'll be around to see them get married. It's possible, but not likely. But you never know. I, I may make it to see my grandkids get married. Uh, I'd like to see them graduate from high school and then bite the dust. But, you know, we'll wait and see. Do what? Yeah. So, you know, Abraham was concerned, very concerned about his son, his future, his relationship with God, because it was going to be important who he married. And it's a true fact. You're going to marry somebody that you date, right? Is that true or false? Now, if you date only Christians, faithful Christians, who might you end up marrying? 100% guaranteed you'll marry a faithful Christian, right? You know? So, you know, that's why I think we emphasize in the church today the importance of, of dating a Christian. You know? I know of people that have uh, married people that are not members of the church and ultimately converted their mate, and that's wonderful. I love to see that. I like to be a part of studying the Bible with people like that. But for every one success story, I can give you 25 unsuccessful stories where that person married a person not a member of the church and they were led away from the Lord. They were led away from faithfulness. And so it's just important, I think, to think about who our children and grandchildren marry. And Abraham here was vitally concerned about this. Now he says, do not, we're in verse 4, uh, <clears throat> do not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. So Abraham had a very good reason why he didn't want his son to even go there, because this is the land that God has promised us, right? You know, this is what God said. And you know, how can it be your land and, and uh, the inheritance for uh, your future generations if you're going to leave the land to begin with, right? And so it was important that Isaac stay where he was in that land. But, he said, if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. He's really emphasizing that, isn't he? So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Now, put yourself in the place of this servant. 
This is quite a task, isn't it? Maybe the most important, if not the most important thing that Abraham ever entrusted to any servant at all. He made the servant swear that he would do this and do it correctly. Verse 10, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor, and he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. I wonder why the men didn't go out and draw water. They certainly would today, wouldn't they, right? Wife says, get out there and get some water for me. We'd be out there in a heartbeat, wouldn't we? Back then, that was just the custom. You know, the women went and got the water. And so uh, he got there at the time when the women go out to draw water, and he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and then I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you've appointed for your servant Isaac. You know, it's kind of like Gideon, right, and his wanting to sign and so forth. By this, I shall know that you've shown steadfast love to my master. I love the fact that this servant demonstrates as much faith in God as Abraham does. Now, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance and a maiden who had known no man. You know, she was pure. Uh, she was very attractive, physically speaking. She went down to the spring and she filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. And so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all the camels. And the man gazed at her at silence, gazed at her in silence. Can you imagine that? Wow, this is actually happening. She's doing it, you know, and, you know, he was just, wow, God's doing it right here. And he gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arm weighing ten gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? He hadn't told her yet what he's there for, has he? You know, is there room? You know, you got room at your father's house to spend the night. She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And the man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. 
Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Uh, now, what we have here, if the story continues, we have them enjoying a meal today, and even before that, I'm just not going to read the rest of it, before they could sit down and start eating, I know when I proposed to Jody, you know, marriage to Jody, we went to this fancy restaurant, and I couldn't eat till I got that out of the way. It was a, I mean, it was an expensive restaurant, you know. Uh, yeah, well, remember Brooksy's Barn up in Jackson, Tennessee? It was right there. I planned it perfect, you know. And I wasn't about to wait till we got done eating and proposed to her. I, I had to eat something. I was starving. So I proposed to her there, you know, right there, and then we had a good meal and so forth. But anyhow, that's, that's another thing. Uh, that's the way uh, this servant was here. He said, I can't eat. This. I'm not eating right now. I've got to tell you why I'm here. And he explained about Abraham. He explained the oath that he took. He explained that he had come here to get a wife for Isaac, and uh, apparently the family was pleased. You know, They were more than willing for Rebekah to go. And I love the part which talks about them inquiring of Rebekah. Now, first of all, they made a request, you know, can you let her stay here just 10 days? That don't seem too bad, does it, right? You come take, take my daughter away, you're going to stay here 10 more days. I'd make it 20, 30, you know. But he said, no, I need to take her back tomorrow. I need to get on the road tomorrow. And so they said, it'll be up to her then. And they asked her, and I love this phrase, will you go with this man? Her simple and powerful answer, I will go. I say, that's what marriage commitment's all about, isn't it? Will you go with this man? And what an answer. I will go. And the rest was history. We know that Isaac ultimately uh, saw Rebekah, you know, and uh, she became his wife, and the Bible says he loved her. You know, I wonder what how things would be today if uh, parents picked out their children's spouses for them. I think it might end up better than what we're seeing in society. I think about my situation. Now, there's been a couple of girls. I remember my son. I, I had a couple of girls picked out. I thought, man, this would be great. I even kind of put a little hint there. Ultimately, it turned out to be deadly advice. You know, one of those girls is just corrupt as she can be. You know what I mean? I mean, if I had had my choice, it would have been bad news, you see. But uh, uh, sometimes it might be good. Sometimes it may not be so good. But anyhow, it worked out good in that situation. Now, Isaac only had one wife. Abraham and Jacob had more than one. You know, God's plan is for man to only have one wife. And we know that man has deviated from that plan. We always emphasize to the kids and kids sing, one man for one woman for life. And I think people would do well today if they would allow God to simply select their mates and uh, follow the teaching of the Bible on what a husband and wife ought to be. And if we had time, maybe we can just take a minute or two. What are some traits that the world values in a marriage partner versus what the Bible puts value on in a marriage partner? What are some of the attributes the world emphasizes? What? Looks, beauty, physical beauty, right? What else? What, what, what does a, a father and mother of a daughter often think about? Wealth. You know, what kind of job does he have? You know, what kind of future is he going to provide? You know, and they ultimately think, well, this is going to be great and successful just because of that, you know. But when you look at the standards of the Bible, you know, Bible uh, character that people need to have, uh, the kind of individuals that are Christ-like, humble, gentle, peaceable, 
you know, the kinds of traits that the Bible emphasizes over and over again. There's a difference between the world standards and the standards the Bible takes place. And so uh, people would do well if they would allow God to select their mates by simply choosing a mate that has the attributes that God sets forth in his word. Now quickly, uh, I wanted to do more than this. Tonight. I wanted to go into Matthew chapter 19 tonight for a minute, but I don't think I'm going to have time to do that. Uh, if we do have time, we might go back. The last thing, one of the last things I want to mention here is some commendable features of Isaac's life. Uh, first of all, I commend Isaac because he was submissive to God's will. We emphasize that in Genesis chapter 22. Also, I commend Isaac because he had a deep devotion to his wife. Uh, Genesis 24 verse 67 says that he loved her. Uh, Genesis chapter 25 verse 21, he prayed for his wife. And so he had the kind of attitude toward his wife that he needed to have. Also notice Isaac was a peacemaker. Perhaps he learned that from his father, right? In Genesis chapter 26, verses 17 through 22, there could have been very serious trouble, uh, but he was willing to sacrifice things from a personal standpoint to avoid conflict. You know, he dug a well, you know, and after he went to all that work, people came and said, this is our land, this is our well. He didn't fight back. He just simply went and dug another one. And then they came and said, well, this is our well too. He didn't fight. He went and finally dug another well, and they didn't bother him there, see. He was the kind of person that was willing to uh, sacrifice per, from a personal standpoint to avoid conflict. And, of course, when it comes to sin, we should never compromise. Never. Uh, also, he was very worshipful and very prayerful. Uh, he built an altar and called on the name of the Lord, in Genesis 26 and verse 25. No doubt he learned that from his father Abraham. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 20, he was a man of faith. And you might turn over there just quickly and, and we'll read that point. In Hebrews chapter uh, 11, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings upon Jacob and Esau. And so Isaac there is described as a man of faith. Also, he was identified by his fear of God. He was known for the respect he had for God in Genesis 31, verses 42. And so we need to fear God, not in the sense that we're just afraid of Him, but we stand in awe of Him. We stand in great respect and adoration of Him. Quickly, we only got one minute. There's some things not so commendable about Isaac. No man's perfect, and when we make these studies, we're talking about ordinary men and women just like us, right? No different from us today. They had their good traits and their bad traits. That's one reason why we can prove the Bible's inspired. The Bible just doesn't talk about just the good traits of these characters, does it? Talks about the negative traits as well. Uh, also, uh, one of these things that's not favorable about him is showing favoritism with his children. Genesis 27. Uh, that's, that's an awful thing that he did there. Isaac favored who? Who did Isaac favor? Which of his children? Esau and Rebekah 
Jacob was mama's, mama's boy, wasn't he? And so that favoritism, you know, kind of came between them and the family and ultimately led Jacob to leaving. Also, his lack of faith in the promise of God that the elder would serve the younger in Genesis chapter 27. Also, his efforts to circumvent God in pronouncing the blessing on his sons. I wish we had time to read that account in Genesis chapter 27. Now, you remember the deception he put forth about the identity of his wife, right? In chapter 26, remember, he lied about who he was. He said, this is not my wife, it's my sister. He was feared that he would be killed. And ultimately, Abimelech said, you know, you need to get out of here. <laughs> you know, what if, what if something had happened and one of my people had laid with your wife there? And so uh, he lied just like his father Abraham had done. But, you know, let's learn to imitate the good qualities of Isaac and, you know, avoid the mistakes that he made. And if we've made the same mistakes, you know, God will forgive us. You know, God will certainly make things right with us and we with him if we meet his terms of pardon. All right, uh, everybody's coming in, and I appreciate very much your listening tonight. Thank you very, very much.
time for us to go ahead and start tonight, if we can, please. We're so grateful that you're here tonight. You've taken time out of your schedule to come and to study God's Word, and we are glad that you're here, especially if you're visiting with us tonight. We want you to come back and be with us anytime that you can. We have a worship assembly on Sunday morning at 9.30. We have a Bible class session on Sunday night at 5, then, of course, on Wednesday night at 7. And uh, it's our goal to make everyone feel welcome, so come back and be with us. I hope you'll take one of the bulletins before you leave. It has updates. It also has an update, especially on the 6th, so please take note of that. We want to extend our deepest sympathy to Margaret, Margaret Ann Sanders and the death of her brother, Ronnie Sarton. Ronnie was a longtime gospel preacher and a great encourager. That funeral is going to be tomorrow in Monticello, Kentucky. We also extend our sympathy to Julius Lee Wales and the death of her nephew, James Morrison. He was also a cousin to the Stutz family. And of course, our sympathy goes to Dee Worley and the death of her first cousin, James Lee Hicks. Horizons at Freed Hardeman is going to begin this Sunday. It says here the bus will leave from the TAC at 1 o'clock. And something called the Blue Barrel is set up in the foyer to receive items for this year's Horizons Annual Service Projects, blessing bags, it says. And if you want to know more details about that, uh, check the bulletin. Also, Maywood camp fees are due now. That's $54 a person. And there's going to be, just for your notation, a Bible class teachers meeting on Sunday, July the 31st at 3.30 in the Annex uh, before the new quarter begins. And the food pantry item this week is saltines. So we really need your help. If you, uh, whenever you see in the bulletin a pantry item there, it, it'll be a huge help uh, if you would bring those items because uh, a lot of people are really hurting out there. And, and we at Boonville are helping a lot of people uh, through difficult times. So uh, take that seriously. For our devotional tonight, uh, Brandon Elliott's going to be leading our singing, and Rick Warner is going to dismiss us in prayer. You have your song books, uh, Mark number 902. That's right, 902. That'll be our invitation song. Once you have that mark, turn to number 800. Number 800. Sing the first and last verse. One
dated July the 3rd, 1776, John Adams wrote the following note to his wife. He said, this is going to be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows and games and sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. You know, the second president, John Adams, was very right. Without question, the freedom that we enjoy in this country ought to be celebrated, and it needs to be celebrated However, in order to uh, celebrate properly, I think it's important that we understand our freedom. And I think there's some spiritual lessons that we can learn from this as well as, as we compare the freedom that we enjoy in this country to the freedoms that we enjoy in Christ. First of all, we need to understand that freedom comes at a high cost. You know, the last line of the Declaration of Independence says, and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Freedom was dear to them. It came at a high cost. And yet spiritually, Jesus Christ gave his life to secure our freedom. And you and I must choose a life to die to self and live for the Lord. Paul said, it's no longer I who live, Galatians 2 and verse 20, but Christ living in me. And so our freedom in this country came at a high cost, but also our freedom in Jesus Christ comes at a high cost as well. Also, freedom must be maintained. I think most people in America take for granted our freedom. Our freedom can be lost. History has shown time and time again that nations can be destroyed. Uh, there's no guarantee of the future existence of America here upon this earth. Nations stand and they fall. And yet when it comes to uh, spiritual things, we need to understand that our relationship with God can be lost as well. We can forfeit our spiritual freedom when we turn our back on the Lord. We have to strive and determine to maintain that freedom we enjoy in Christ. Also, we know that freedom can be very dangerous. You know, people with free will and free reign 
sadly often make wicked choices. And when it comes to people today, sometimes we as children of God choose to serve one or another that may be evil. The Bible in Romans chapter 6 and verse 16 tells us to make a choice whether we're going to be servants of sin or servants of righteousness. And let's realize that freedom can be dangerous when we make the wrong choice. But lastly, I want to suggest to you about freedom that it needs to be loved. Fools take for granted freedom. The wise, on the other hand, recognize that they've been blessed. You know, the Bible says over in 1 Peter 2 and verse 16, live as people who are free, living as servants of God. And so in just a few more days, July the 4th will be here, and rightly so, we'll celebrate the freedom that we have in this country. Freedom that most people in the world can't even begin to imagine. They can only dream about it. And yet I hope tonight we will choose to cherish a much more important kind of freedom. The freedom we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, the freedom from sin, freedom from the bondage of Satan, the freedom that we have to serve God and to be faithful so that heaven will ultimately be ours. But you know, true freedom in Christ begins with that decision to become a child of God. Maybe there's one here tonight who has not made that decision, but you can make that decision even right now. If you believe in Jesus Christ as the divine son of God and you're willing to repent of your sins, you can be baptized into Jesus Christ. Those sins will be washed away in the watery grave of baptism and you can arise from that water a new creation free from the bondage of sin, a child of God with the hope of heaven. And so tonight, if you're subject to the invitation, we give you this opportunity to come while we stand and sing.
Let us pray. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, Father, that we have the privilege to assemble here tonight to study more about thy word, Father, to sing these songs of praise unto thee, to petition thee in prayer, Father. We just pray that uh, as we have taken and studied tonight in these classes that we would take what we've learned, Father, and that we would pry, apply it to our lives and help us to live closer to thee, Father. We're so thankful that we live in a country, Father, that allows us the freedoms to assemble midweek to study thy word, Father. We just ask that you would please continue to bless our congregation here, bless us in the efforts that we undertake, and help us, to, Father, to be a strong church, Father, that we're always looking, Father, for souls, for lost souls, Father. We pray that you would be with our leadership here, Father, especially we pray to be with our elders as they make decisions, Father, concerning the church here, that you would be with them and help them to lead in a way that would be pleasing in thy sight, Father. We pray also for our deacons and our uh, as they carry out the works of the, the church here, be with each one of them. Pray thy special blessings to be upon Brother Ken and, and Brother Doug as they labor here with us. Just be with, with them each day. We pray now, Father, for the sick of our number, and we have many that's listed, Father. But we pray thy special blessings to be upon Sister Martha Eaton, Father. She has suffered so long, Father, and she is dealing with terrible pain. And we just pray, Father, that you would help her with this infection in her leg, that they would be able to treat it, Father, that she could get some relief from, from this, Father. And we just pray that you would be with her and be with, be with Brother Harold as the caretaker, Father, that just help him, hold him up, Father, and give him strength. We pray, Father, for Jody's father, that, uh, Father, that it, with his heart condition, that you would be with him and touch him and just help him, to, Father, to, uh, to heal if it's in accordance with thy will. Pray for Sister Carolyn Miller, Father, as uh, she is, we've had news that she has a broken leg. Carolyn Wilcutt, I'm sorry. Carolyn Wilcutt, Father. We just pray that you would be with her and, uh, Watch over her and help her to recover, Father. Pray thy special blessings to be upon those that have lost loved ones, especially, Father, for the Sarton family. We pray, Father, for Brother Ronnie's family. He has labored so long in thy kingdom, Father, and we just pray that you would be with, be with his family members. We are so thankful, Father, for everything that you do for us, Father. We just pray that you will help us to to go about doing thy will the rest of the week. Just be with us. We know that we fail thee, Father, and we often do wrong, and we just pray that you would please forgive us of that, Father. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 